everyone. Thanks for joining KPMG in our third podcast today, where we're talking about connected support and care, the future of human and social services, and the key themes that came out of our recent publication. I'm Mike Capus, one of the partners in KPMG Canada who works in the human and social services sector. In the last two podcasts, my colleague Martin Joyce and I talked through some of the key trends that we've seen in the sector. And then in the very last podcast, Martin talked to a nonprofit organization who recently digitized their delivery in response to COVID-19. Today, we're talking further about the impacts of COVID on human and social services organizations. And I'm really pleased that today we have two guests uh, from the Edmonton Food Bank. So first up, Marjorie. Benz, Executive Director of the Edmonton Food Bank. Marjorie, do you want to introduce Hi. yourself? Hi, Michael. I'm so pleased to be here and part of sharing our learnings with others. That's great. Thanks, Marjorie. And the other guest that we have is Sandra Neese, the Board Chair of the Edmonton Food Bank. Hi, Michael. Thanks for inviting us. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Ah. Well, I appreciate you both in joining me today. So um, I wanted maybe to start off with maybe just for you two to share or Marjorie, maybe if you want to share just a bit more about the Edmonton Food Bank. Can you just give the audience a sense of who the Edmonton Food Bank is and, and who you serve? Certainly. Um, we're Edmonton's Food Bank and we're a central warehouse that collects and redistributes food to over 250 agencies churches, schools, and other food programs in Edmonton. And being a central warehouse, we have relationships and partnerships with all these groups, and we try to provide food resources to their programs so they can serve those who are most in need in our community. And we do have some people who end up uh, needing to come to Edmonton's Food Bank directly for services. So we are on the front line of both direct uh, services to people in need, as well as supporting a broader community of service providers. That's great. That's awesome. So food, food is the central theme of today's conversation. And I think I, I think back a year ago when we kind of all went into COVID lockdown and you started to go to grocery stores and see, you know, limited options on the shelves, things like basics like flour, pasta, canned goods suddenly were difficult to have. That was for people who could afford to go to the grocery store and afford groceries. And I'm sure that the impact of the food bank was probably similar, like most human and social services organizations, you know, thrown into a bit of disarray at the start of COVID because what's going to happen? Um, what are the challenges we're going to face over the next few months? Or, you know, who knew it was going to be a year, a year into this? I'm wondering maybe if you can share with the audience kind of what happened at the start of COVID with the Edmonton Food Bank. And and how did you respond to that changing situation? Well, first off, uh, um, we have been on the front line of a, a number of crises that have happened in Alberta. So, for example, when the Fort McMurray fires took place, we saw increased numbers of people coming down from Fort McMurray who had been displaced and needing food access. Uh, as well as other groups providing services, also serving, uh, you know, again, people who had been displaced because of the fires. Because of that experience and other experiences, we had maybe a little bit of a sense that it would have a great impact on our organization if a pandemic was declared. And while it sounds a little bit paranoid, uh, we did start in January and February of 2020, looking at our food supply system and what we could do if 
you know, the pandemic did spread and it did have impact on Canada and on our community. So I think in some ways we had a little bit of a heads up and had started those conversations internally to help prepare us for that. Um, initially, there was this, you know, the the week of March 11th did have that um, fear. I think that every everyone in the world was experiencing at that time about, you know, how do we keep our families safe? How do we keep our businesses safe? And how do we continue to do the work we need to do? And certainly we did see clients coming to us again, as you indicated, there was initial concerns throughout communities all over uh, about how to access food. So in March, we did see people who are food insecure usually now we're even more concerned about what that food security would look like and if we were to close those types of things we you know there was rumors that we were closed at one point because people were very concerned about how they were going to access food so again people who are most vulnerable even feel more in crisis when you know situations like this unfold for sure. It sort of emphasizes, doesn't it? It emphasizes yes. that feeling of, of hope or of despair, I guess, not the hope side, but hopelessness, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Sandra, I'm wondering maybe if you can talk about food security, because I know that that's something that from a board governance perspective was really sort of top of mind for the board at this time, was thinking about like the broader themes while Marjorie and her team were dealing with more of the day-to-day -day operational and shifting to COVID, there's really this sort of push around, you know, a lack of policy that exists when it comes to things like food security during during pandemics or emergency situations. Sure, absolutely. And, and within the mission of the food bank is a statement about addressing the causes of hunger. So we as a board always are looking for ways from a governance perspective to tackle that part of our mission. And what we heard from Marjorie when this pandemic started is that all of a sudden, every level of government wanted to talk to her every week. And the discovery of Zoom has been a benefit and a bane to everyone's existence. Marjorie definitely experienced uh, Zoom fatigue. I, I don't know if you've adapted to it yet, Marjorie. <laughs> but, <laughs> no one but, adapts to Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was something that just really resonated with me that as a board, We've been struggling to build relationships with different levels of government with the hopes of um, sharing our knowledge about food insecurity in our city. And struggle is absolutely the word. It, you know, politicians are busy people. And certainly in Alberta, our provincial government has changed multiple times in the last five for six or eight years. So finding the right people to connect with was difficult. But uh, when this pandemic hit and it just really struck me how, oh, all of a sudden they want to talk to us because we're on the front lines. But if we'd had a conversation, ongoing conversation before all this started, maybe we would have been better prepared. So I 
initiated a process of reaching out to some former colleagues in the provincial government and started a conversation about creating policy at the provincial level on how do we deal with food insecurity during emergencies. The other thing we reason that we started that was every level of government was very generous at the beginning of the pandemic in distributing funds. And we saw an immediate impact in that in terms of our numbers. Um, Marjorie was saying in March, the numbers of clients needing support jumped up rapidly. Once the CERB started flowing, we noticed those numbers dropped down. And we thought that was really important information to share with government about the impact of actually supporting people who are in need on a regular basis. And Alberta had had, we've been through a couple of years of uh, economic downturn, so our numbers were already high. And all of a sudden when CERB was flowing, the numbers went down overall. And that was one reason we wanted to reach out to government. The other reason was that we noticed what we'll call pop-up organizations well-meaning organizations, and, and we've seen this in every crisis, every natural disaster, that people want to help and their efforts are very well-intentioned, but they don't seem to realize that there are food security experts in the community who have buying power, who have the logistics figured out. We know how to distribute food quickly. And they often get financial support from different levels of government. Unfortunately, what often happens is they get into a situation where they're in way over their head, and then the food bank comes in to kind of pick up the pieces. So that was another piece of information that we felt it important to share with governments. That's an ongoing work that we're involved in with the provincial government, obviously, they're a little busy these days, too, trying to figure out how <laughs> to handle all the things. But I just want to say they were very receptive to working with us to do develop policy for future situations. No, that's great. And you've raised some interesting points just around the, the infrastructure that food banks play, because it's not only in, in Edmonton and in Alberta, but across Canada, right? Food banks were often the central sort of focal or meeting point for many different organizations who were looking to serve their people, right? Their, their cohorts, their clients and whatnot. The federal government recognized that thanks a lot to Food Banks Canada and their policy, their advocacy efforts. So... The federal government was very good at, at directing funding towards food banks. Yeah, well, I know a lot of organizations, even organizations like KPMG, were supporting food banks across Canada at the start of the pandemic because we saw that that was a, a critical need in the community, right? Just from a community and social yep. impact perspective. Marjorie, I'm wondering, did COVID affect the food bank's plans? Did it, did it affect the plans in terms of kind of, you know, at the start of the year, you kind of had a, a vision or, or a path forward, did it affect how you carried out those plans? Did it accelerate some things or did it slow some things down? Like, just wondering maybe if you can talk to that, to the audience for a bit. Well, certainly I think uh, I have to, hats off to my volunteers and staff and everybody involved for pivoting and changing really quickly. There was points during this process that we had, you know, had 
tentative options laid out for us as an organization. If this happens, then we're going to respond in this way. And people responded very quickly. So, for example, in December, our numbers had jumped up significantly. And of course, the COVID numbers were up. So we did three drive in, drive through, pardon me, hamper pickup processes where we served over 1600 people. So we had that concept or that idea. And it was a Monday that we decided we needed to do this. And it was Saturday when we implemented it. Wow. Yeah. So we did make changes very quickly. Um, our board had laid out a strategic plan for us prior to COVID. And then we also had developed even a business plan in October of 2020 to, to try to keep um, chiseling away at a strategic plan and moving things forward with the goal of um, coming out at the end of this process as a strong organization and even better equipped to provide quality services to the community. And unfortunately, when you go to do anything, so for part of this business plan is to do some research elements. Again, um, physical distancing, um, in-person interviews are harder. So everything becomes a little bit more cumbersome and delayed. So in essence, some things move very quickly and you respond very quickly to changes and others not so fast. Another thing that we did really fast was we um, had seen through the media how certain grocery um, organizations were going to be implementing physical plexiglass barriers to protect their their staff. And we saw that happening in Europe. So I made a call to a contractor and I said, I want my plexiglass barriers in within 24 hours, which of course was unheard of because nobody was doing it yet. And they had it in 48 hours. So hats off to everybody that steps forward to respond to creating change and moving things forward in a way that none of us have experienced in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Quite interesting. I, I like the term. I mean, pivot is the new word of COVID, right? It's the, <laughs> that's the buzz term that everyone was talking about. How do you pivot? Um, Sandra, I'm wondering maybe just from your perspective in the, the last few minutes that we have, and, and Marjorie, I'll ask you the same question too, but it, if nonprofits were looking to for advice, like what, what could they do? What could they have done differently? What kind of advice would you give them in regards to dealing with situations like COVID and, and really pivoting, I guess? I, I always hesitate to give advice <laughs> to other organizations. <laughs> um, uh, I guess I would just say, stay really clear on your mission and values. Either we saw some organizations shut down. We've seen other organizations with mission creep. And in times of emergency, I, I think it's really important to absolutely focus on what your goals are, who are your clients, and support your clients and your staff and ask them for help. Ask for help all over the place. I think Marjorie has said number of times, the number of times that they had ideas and, and talked through ideas as a team and how useful that was. As, as a leader, you don't need to have all of the answers. You have smart people around you. And the other thing that Marjorie has done really well is, is to look at what's happening around the world and get ideas from there. Just one other thing is, is help 
others in your field where you can. Um, we were able to help out depots that just didn't have the money to set themselves out to operate properly. So Marjorie has the contacts. We had were getting some good support financially from the community, and we were able to actually set up plexiglass barriers. One depot we renovated completely so that the seniors who operated it were able to operate safely and still deliver food to people in their community. So that's great. That's great advice from someone who doesn't give advice, Sandra. I know. <laughs> I thought help and I give help, right? On there after <laughs> Marjorie, same question. What, yes, what, what, what advice would you offer? Yes, and I just echo what Sandra's saying. Giving advice is always a dangerous process, Michael. <laughs> and uh, just to echo what uh, Sandra said about staying true to your uh, mission and values. And um, again, you know, all work is valuable. Um, I think we've seen some gaps starting to appear around services, other services to people in need, like mental health and other support. So. If people can stay true to their mission and values, that's really a key and it's a foundation to all organizations. I think it's really important, Sandra alluded to this, is to, you know, to reach out to others, but also to be kind to each other and understand mm -hmm. that plans change frequently and that's okay. And it's really important to be supportive of people. People are going, whether it's your staff, your volunteers, your clients, they're, they're struggling. They're struggling with sense of insecurity for a whole variety of matters. They're, you know, the mental health challenges, job losses, all the things that people can possibly go through. And uh, we need to be kind to each other moving forward. No, those are great. That's that's great advice, Marjorie. Again, great advice from someone who doesn't want to give advice, right? That's that's perfect. Thank you both so much for your time today. Um, and thank you to our audience for listening um, into these conversations. This has been a, a great and interesting endeavor to undertake to, to talk to organizations and think and reflect on the future of human and social services. And we look forward to connecting with you in the near future. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.